City Church family, you get to meet um, a very dear friend of mine, uh, Joe Patton, this morning. Joe, um, in so many ways, is my father in ministry. He is the City Church family, you get to meet um, a very dear City Church family, you get to meet um, a very dear friend of mine, uh, Joe Patton, this morning. Joe, um, in so many ways, is my father in ministry. City Church family, you get to meet um, a very dear friend of mine, uh, Joe Patton, this morning. Joe, um, in so many ways, is my father in ministry. He is the first boss I ever had, um, and I can't uh, begin to express my gratitude for his ministry, his life, his friendship, and I know you will be encouraged this morning. You'll be blessed uh, by just an opportunity to spend time with him. And so, Joe, I love you, and I'm so thankful that you would come and bless our church with your gifts of service. Thanks for being here. Amen. We got through that. <laughs> I love that guy. I love his family. I've seen him grow up. Uh, God has done some great things in his life and is doing great things here. And I pray for you guys all the time. I think uh, when I heard that you got Midas Hill, I was so excited uh, for my family. You know, I kind of have an investment here. Uh, Jessica's my daughter and Kyle, she's my son-in-law. And, uh, <laughs> and then I got three uh, grandkids here that I love so much. And I forget their names right now, but... Uh, <laughs> But we, we love them so much, and we've been blessed, and uh, we'll continue to pray for you. And I, I pray for many churches in the area because we need uh, churches like this that preach the gospel, uh, to try to reach people for Christ, to do the mission work that God has called us to do, and uh, I'm grateful for you. So you are always in our prayers. I want to begin today with uh, this idea, have you ever encountered somebody that had a heightened sense of entitlement in their life? And what I mean by that, uh, like a customer who uh, buys something, he breaks it, he breaks it, takes it back, and he wants full refund. That's entitlement. Or the student that says that I really want an A, so I'm going to try to schmooze the teacher and get an A, even though they don't deserve it. Or, or maybe uh, an employee that uh, is overlooked in a promotion, but he didn't really deserve it, but he's mad about it because he didn't get it. I mean, we see those all the time. You, you see celebrities come in and they go, you don't know who I am. You know, I am this person and I deserve a, a table even though, though there's no table available. But I also thought as I thought of that list, I thought of uh, Christians, they kind of feel entitlement sometimes. They kind of get into that realm where their ministry is more important than any other ministry in the church and so they expect more. They get upset when it doesn't work their way. This entitlement is a, a bad uh, thing that takes place. Believers believing that they're so entitled, it leads to problems in their lives. They claim to be uh, that they're not entitled, and sometimes they're blind to that entitlement in their life. So I did a little research, and the psychologists have looked into this and said entitled individuals define entitlement as a uh, personality characteristic which someone has a pervasive sense of deservedness. People high in entitlement believe that they should get what they want because of who they are. 
entitled individuals think they deserve more than other people when they're not really any more important than anybody else. Some people are quite entitled overall that people's sense of entitlement can fluctuate too because those who think they are not entitled end up being entitled. Now, they have, these researchers have discovered that it's not fully understood the sources of entitlement, but they point to these factors. Now, you need to listen very carefully here. Some people are, are, are entitled because of the way they were treated by their parents or authority figures or messages from the media or life events, especially those that make, uh, those people who make people feel more important than they are. Isn't that crazy? What we call that in Greek is hogwash. People don't really understand what that means. Here, here they, they think like the culture thinks. These researchers think like the culture thinks. There's somebody else to blame for my entitlement. It's my parents. It's, it's the, the, the uh, politicians. It's this or that. We are good at blaming. Because you know why we blame? Because we want somebody else to look the other way. They don't want to look at me, look at somebody else. It's their fault. We see that daily in people's lives. Today we observe in Jesus' day those people that uh, thought more of themselves than they should. They were expecting more than they deserved. One of the fundamental things of Scripture is the, the heart of man is desperately wicked who can know it. There is amazing things that come out of our mouths. There are amazing things that we would think would never be there, but they're there because we're sinful people. We, are, we have a heart that's far from God. The heart of people have never changed. Those problems are still there today that we're in Jesus' day. You know the amazing thing that Jesus uh, had to deal with the things then as he deals with it now? Satan's plans, Satan's temptations, uh, propensities from Satan have never changed. They're the same thing, replicated over and over again. The more you know God's Word, the more you know people. You know people are sinful. And this, this creates this issue in our lives, and, and we've got to discover that, you know, we act bad. We've got a lot of issues that come out. Oh, you think you're pretty good until you get on Highway 75 in the traffic, and then you realize there's a lot of corruption in you. You're, you. You blame somebody for driving the way they do, and you do the same thing. This is us. We are sinful. And so Jesus is dealing with this in his life right here. Now, if you'll turn with me to Matthew 19, we see the kind of the context of this, this parable. In Matthew 19, he uh, is dealing with deep-seated beliefs, or what I will call entitlements in their lives. I expect these things. For instance, uh, the, the rich young ruler in chapter 20, I mean chapter 19, verse 16 and following, the rich young ruler comes and he says, I've done this and this and this. I've done everything that I'm supposed to do. What is lacking? He says, I'm good. You say, I'm a good person. I ain't kill anybody. I always think that that's an interesting uh, level uh, uh, that people have. I ain't killed anybody. I'm a good person. Really, that's it. 
See, he said he was good. Uh, and then we see a group around him, uh, the Pharisees, and they're saying we're good. I mean, we teach that, that he's a good man, and I'm a good man. We're all good here. Isn't that great? We're all good. We give money. We, we're good people. And then you find in this same story the disciples who go, well, who's good? And what that means there is that after all this, in verse 25, the disciples heard that, that this man left and, and went away grieving, and he said, and they were astonished. You look at that word, astonished. Then who can be saved? Who can be saved? Because if this guy who has done all that was right can't be saved, how can anybody be saved? This struggle that they're dealing with that, that happens in these situations, Jesus declares, hey, listen, God can do that. All things are possible for God. And Peter says in verse 27, we've sacrificed everything for you, Lord. And in essence, I'm going to paraphrase it, what's in it for us? What do I get out of it? What rewards will I get? So you see, this is lining up why he has to teach this parable. This is lining up the things that Jesus is, is sharing with them right here. He, he honestly answers them here. He says, Okay, in verse 28, when you follow me, uh, his, uh, he says that you shall sit on the 12 thrones, judging the, uh, the tribes of Israel. He says that's going to come in the future to the disciples. But then the rest, I like verse 29 because it says everyone else. That would be us, right? And everyone else, he says, that have left houses and brothers and sisters and father and mother and children and farms for my name's sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. But he doesn't stop there. He ends on this verse 30. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now, one scholar said it this way. He said, those who are lost, are lost most in, uh, on earth to follow Jesus in this life will receive eternal rewards along alongside those who have sacrificed much less by comparison. Not all the rewards will be the same, but some who are, uh, were wealthy in earth will be last in the kingdom, and those who are last on earth shall be first in the kingdom. But in all cases, he says, God will keep his promises to all of us, and none will have a legitimate reason to describe God as unfair. Nor will anyone have a reason to take, think their status in this life directly reflects the status of eternity. Now, that's uh, good stuff, but I, let me just tell you this way. You and I have eternal life if we know Jesus is Savior. Isn't that enough? You know, well, I do like to have a reward because I want to lay it at the feet of Jesus because I wouldn't be there without Jesus. Amen. And so we understand what he's saying here. The, the joy of the ministry is that we are going to spend eternity with Christ. So that kind of sets up this, this parable for us to understand some of the things that are going through uh, this uh, situation. So when we listen to this parable, we have to understand this. It's not about the vineyard. It's not about the workers. It's not about the work itself. It's not about the pay for the wages of that day. It's not about the first workers who thought their feelings uh, uh, were expecting to get paid more. 
It's not about the, what's fair or unfair. It's not about the last hours being more blessed, but it's all about the landowner. It's all about the master of this vineyard who sought out the workers, who paid them. It is a picture of God and us and his grace upon us that he pursued us. So we're going to look at that today. So the first question that I have or first thought I had on this was to, to look at what Jesus was personally dealing with at this time. Now, I, I want you to, to really think today Jesus is fully human. Amen? Fully God, fully human. That's the humanity of Christ. He feels things like we feel. And I want you to think with me right at this moment. He knows he's going to the cross. He knows he's got that in his sights. Even in verse 18 of this chapter, he tells them, he says, we're going up to Jerusalem and I will be crucified. An intense focus upon the cross. We know that he set his face toward Jerusalem. And how many times did he tell the disciples that he was going to be crucified? Over and over again, and yet it's like wind that just passed by. They did not understand it. It's like saying to you or me, you know, I'm going to die. Well, yeah, someday. They just didn't understand it. And so when we look at Christ's life, we have to go back to the beginning. We have to set in motion what he has has intensely lived for all this time up to the cross. And I want to show you that in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. From the very beginning of his ministry, the very beginning, he walks into the synagogue, he takes the scroll, he reads from Isaiah 61, and he says these words, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has, uh, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim the release of the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He closes it, sits down, and he says to him, in this day, is, this prophecy has been fulfilled. This is a powerful message of his whole ministry. For we know that he came to serve the Father. In chapter, John chapter 4, verse 34, For Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him. Listen to that. The will of him, that is the Father, who sent me and to accomplish his work. In John 5.30, he says, I came to do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I did not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In John 12, verse 49, he says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father of who sent me has given me this commandment, what I say and what I speak. And in everything that Jesus did in life, he was glorifying the Father because he was obeying him. If you want to be Christ-like, you better be concerned about God's will in this world and God's will in your life. That is so important, and it is testified in in Christ's life. So let's break that down. He came to proclaim the gospel. He was the gospel, amen? He said, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish 
but have eternal life. I go King James once in a while because that's how I memorized it. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then he said this, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, those who witness, those who share the gospel are few. And he says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers to the harvest. Then he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Is that a purpose statement? That's a pretty good purpose statement. This is why I came, to proclaim the gospel. Now, that prophecy, that part of Isaiah that he read was 700 years before he came. When we see those things, we need to rejoice that only God can do these things. Man can't write these things. The second thing is that he came to release the captives. Now, let's look at that for just a second. Did he do that? Well, the thief on the cross next to him cries out to him to to remember him in paradise, and Jesus said, I'll remember you today. You will be with me in paradise. Is that a captive released? Absolutely. Talk about last-minute death confessions. That was one, and he was saved right there on the cross. That's that's how grace God, all the grace of God that works in a person's life. Uh, when I look at Scripture in Matthew 27, that after the, the, uh, the resurrection, now stay with me on this because some of you are drifting. I know you are. You know why I know that? Because I did too. I was just drifting off myself. It's just very strange. <laughs> Matthew 27, he said, The tombs were broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life, And they came out of the tombs and went in the holy city and appeared to many people. Let me tell you something. That's release of the captives right there. If you don't see it there, there it is right there. And it would also freak you out if somebody you knew died and came in this door right now. You would say, that. now, yeah, that's crazy. That's what they experience. He can release the captives. Then we look at, did he give sight to the blind? Well, in Matthew 9, he gave sight to two blind men. In Mark 8, he gave sight to a man in Bethesda. In Matthew 12, demon-possessed person that was blind and mute. That's a pretty heavy one right there. He gave sight and healed him. In Luke 18, a Jericho man was received sight. In this own chapter, in chapter 20, uh, two blind men received sight, called out to Jesus, and he healed them. In, Matthew, in John 9, a blind man was healed at the pool of Siloam. In Matthew 15, verse 30, untold numbers of people who were blind were healed, crippled and blind were healed. Did he obey the Lord? Did he obey the Father as he showed him? Did he heal them? Yes. All those things happened because he was following God's will. It's hard for us to understand that, but he was God in the flesh, and yet he was obedient to the Father. And then he came and he set, he set free those who were oppressed. The word brokenhearted is a, a, in Isaiah. Uh, they were shattered. They, they're disheartened in every way. That speaks a whole lot to me. My whole ministry is that I have dealt with the brokenhearted. I dealt with singles that went through divorce. I've dealt with people who have lost loved ones. I've dealt with uh, ministering to those who are going through a loss of job and all the other broken things that happen in life. 
that brokenheartedness speaks to me because I, in fact, my own life was brokenhearted. That is, it, it is a difficult time in our life. And you know what Jesus says? He gave us the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? He gives us comfort. He guides us. He directs us. He comforts us. He convicts us of sin. The dynamics of the Holy Spirit is there to help us. What did Jesus say to us? To those who serve him, greater works than these you will do. Do you believe that? That's what he said he would do, and he did. And so we see this, the broken uh, things that happen in life, especially around death. And Jesus says, I, I go to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back, and I'll receive you to myself, and there you will be with me forever. We have all those great comforts and, and strength in our lives, and we also get that glorified body at the end. Amen. Don't you wish you had a glorified body right now? I wish I had it right now. I'd go through walls. I'd just talk and eat when I wanted to. Didn't have to worry about weight. Uh, those are all wonderful things. We're going to have that. You say, oh, that's a, that's a pie in the sky. Well, all right. I like pie. Amen. <laughs> when I think of this, he says, I will proclaim the Lord's favor. That is the, uh, that the, the great and terrible day of the future. For us, it's our great hope. I still believe in the rapture. A lot of people don't believe that anymore. And I go, okay, you can stay around for the tribulation. I'm not. I like going to heaven. Amen? And so he gives us all this hope. And so his entire ministry is wrapped up at this point as he heads toward the cross. And now he has to deal with some people. Look at who Jesus is dealing with at this time. In Matthew 19, he dealt with the rich young ruler who thought that he was good enough to get there. He's a good guy. He was a good man. But he did all the right things, but there's only one thing. There's only one thing. That treasure in his heart was the riches that he owned. And Jesus said, go sell it all and follow me. You know what he's saying is that same thing to you and me. There's this one thing in your life that's holding you back from trusting God. There's one thing in your life that you rely on more than anything else. And you won't trust him with it. And God will tell you, I want that one thing. Whatever that treasure is that's in your heart is where you are. And he wants that treasure because he wants to get it out of the way because he has a greater treasure for you. But you have to give it to him. You have to release. And that's why he, he loved riches more than he loved God. And then I look in verse 25 at the astonished disciples uh, in their righteous paradigm, this is the way they saw it. Does anybody ever kind of cook up their own stuff? Yes, we do. We mix things together all the time, a little of this, a little of that for, for our religious sake. Uh, we all have our convictions about certain things. You know, I didn't kill anybody. I'm a good person. You know, that kind of stuff. We have to understand that, that we all have that paradigm. Then they say, who can be saved? Some people just don't get it. Some people just listen and hear weakly. You know, it's hard. It's hard to understand that you, this might be the only spiritual stuff you get in a week. And, and for a preacher, it's terrifying to go, I, I, I got to do a good job because this is all they get. I hope it's not that way. But when we look at this, we see that these guys were astonished, and Jesus was dealing with their agendas, their entitlements, their expectations. 
You know, we all have those. And we get wrapped up in them instead of God's Word, and we begin to get disappointed because it's not turning out the way we want it to. And then I look at Peter in, in verse 27, and he's earthly-minded. He's thinking of earthly rewards. He's thinking about an earthly kingdom. Even though Jesus has talked about the spiritual kingdom over and over again. And so he's still frustrated with what he's going to get out of this life. I'm thinking a physical kingdom. I'm thinking this is what, what is going to happen right now. And Jesus is going, no, 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 it's a spiritual kingdom. He did not understand. And that's why I think it leads into this parable to try to explain to him what this is all about. People just don't hear the gospel they hear religion. People still are in captivity. They still are held by these temptations that are a part of their life. They're still spiritually blind all the time by going to church. They don't see it. You have to ask the Lord to illuminate your eyes. I I have to ask you today. You got up. You had some coffee or whatever, and you finally got here. Finally got the kids there and everything. You finally sit down. What were you expecting? What were you expecting this morning? Oh, a song, a sermon. Hope it's not long. And then we go home. You know, you had no expectation. But if you turn that around and go, when you woke up this morning and said, I want to expect something from the Lord. I want God to speak to me. I want to have that experience. Listen, God, God speaks to us. He speaks to us out there in the parking lot. He speaks to us in a, in, a, in a Bible study. He speaks to us in a song like this morning. He speaks to us if we're listening. And so if we're not listening in the way that he wants us to listen, that is in his kingdom, not our kingdom, in his will, not our will, then we never will hear it. You see, we stay blind, we're still broken in our lives, and we have no clue of what is coming up ahead of us. Listen, there's a judgment coming. Did you know that? Nobody wants to talk about that. That's fire and brimstone. Nobody wants to talk about that, but it's coming. We know that. The Scriptures say that over and over again. I know that we are in a perilous time at this time. I was telling Kyle, I said, you know, your kids are going to grow up like I grew up with the threat of a nuclear bomb. I, I, I lived in Dallas, and, and, uh, and, you know, they said back then that it was a, a bomb that was going to come from Cuba right to Dallas. Now, why are you going to tell kids that? And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking out the windows, a big window, and I'm looking toward downtown Dallas, and I'm imagining that mushroom cloud. And I'm just going, this is terrible. And then we go scampering into the hall and cover our heads like that's going to help us in a bomb like that. (laughs) Did you think that a kid wouldn't put two and two together? All right, we'll go out there. We'll humor you. Let me tell you, we have the great hope in Jesus. Amen. And if you have not trusted Christ You know, the opportunity to pray for Christ to come into your heart is right now. Right now. In fact, let's bow our heads right now. And if you've not trusted Christ, would you pray today, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, 
Forgive me of my sins and save me. Could you pray that prayer right now and give your heart to Christ? Our first thoughts when a, a, a pastor says something like this is, uh, I hope somebody gets saved. No, you pray that somebody will get saved. You pray that the Spirit of God would fall upon a, a congregation and that girl, that boy, that man, that woman would trust Christ as Savior. We have hope in Christ. If you do not have that hope, you have no hope. Now I want to give you a prayer that I want you to think about today because you're going to run across somebody that's lost, doesn't know the Lord. And I want you to challenge them with this prayer. Lord, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. You know, if you're, going to, if you're going to say, I don't know, and I don't know if I can trust Christ or anything, well, just ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. Our God's a big God. We don't have to worry about that. He will reveal. He will deal with a person. But sometimes we just need to get honest. I don't know if it's true or false or which religion or anything like that. Hey, just ask him to reveal himself to you. Change their life because they see the hope that we have in Christ. The third thing is that we look how Jesus provides these answers for us in this parable. He says, watch the master. Just watch the master. Watch what he does. Look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. He says, he says uh, that he, this landowner, this master, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for this vineyard, he pursues us. Did you know he's pursuing us today? Ezekiel 34, 11 says, I myself, this is God speaking, will search for my sheep and seek them out. Romans 3 says there's none righteous. No one seeks for God. Romans 10 quotes Isaiah, you didn't seek me, but I sought you out. God has been clearing the paths for you to discover him. Did you know that? He's got you in this church. He's got you in this song. He's showing you this or that. He's clearing the path for you to reach to him, to see him, and to come to him on your own. That you would call out to him and that he would save you. He's constantly doing that. But when we try to seek God on our terms, he can't be found. Hosea 5, 6 says, and they, go, and they will go out to seek the Lord, but they not, will not find him, for he has withdrawn from them. We cannot come to him on our grounds. We cannot come with our demands. We have to humble ourselves, repent of our sins, and turn to him. He, we, we see that in this story. In verse 10, I want you to look at these two words. And when those hired first, came. Here's what they said. They thought that they would receive more, and, and they also received a Daenerys. They didn't get any more. Now, that's an entitlement. That's an expectation. And that kind of bothers some people when they read that. But they thought, they assumed, they expected, they supposed. Did you know we do that? We have some kind of expectation in our head right now. This is the way it ought to be. You ever been like that? This is the way it should be. And then the Lord says something different. And then you're disgruntled. Oh, well, look at verse 11. That comes with that. And when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner. They didn't get paid more. They deserved more. They were entitled more. Does that not sound like us? 
We have an expectation, God, you're going to meet us, you're going to do this, and he didn't, and guess what happens? Not only are we disappointed, we're angry. Do you ever get angry at the Lord? Get upset with the Lord? You know, that doesn't bother him. He wants you to be honest with him. And that's when we really get honest is when we, we get to that place of grumbling because we are grumblers. We really are. You see, he provides for us. Now, think about it. He, he goes out. He calls them. He invites them to serve. We, he invites us to serve. He, we follow. We begin to serve him. He gives us employment. He gives us opportunities to minister. He promises us rewards, and he, and he delivers he gives us, uh, he meets our financial needs, our food, clothing, and shelters, always there. He blesses us some days better than others. He gives us what we need and sometimes what we want. And he always provides for us because his compassion and his mercy is always for us. And he invites us out to serve him. He always provides. He always delivers. But he also proclaims the truth to us. Now, you want the truth, right? You came today for truth. You didn't come for, I want you to feel good and love everybody. You know, you've heard those kind of sermons. Your pastor doesn't preach that way. He speaks honest to you. He speaks the truth to you. So he proclaims the truth. He listens to our grumbling. Verse 11 is that word grumbling is the word, uh, it's an onomatopoeia. That's a word that sounds like the word it's written. It's called murmur. You know what murmuring is? It is the smoldering discontent, the droning on of low, constant murmur. I would like for this group over here to say murmur three times. Kind of whisper it, but loud enough that we can hear it. Would y'all do that with me? One, two, three. Isn't that disgusting? It just rifles through all of us, doesn't it? It's just something that is so evil. And, and James chapter 5 talks about it. It talks about the tongue of fire and all that, and that's not today's sermon. But I want you to know that J- the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and thank God he is for all of us. You see, he's the owner, and he does this to these guys. Friend? I'm not doing you any wrong. Did you not agree to the Daenerys a day? And I thought to myself, that's you and me. When we agreed to trust Christ as Savior, we work for him. It's his will, not my will. It's what he's doing, not what I want to do. You see, we get lay down our, our, our expectations, our entitlements, and we say, okay, God, not my will, but yours be done. We drop the murmur, too. In fact, when you hear somebody complain in the church, I just want you to say this one word, murmur. Now, if you say that to your wife, you need to say it, but you need to run real quick. That's not a good place. But isn't it true? When you think about that word, when you hear somebody complaining, just go, murmur. That's a, that's a sad place to be. Our entitlements keep rising up. It keeps going. That's why we we need the Spirit of God to to control us, to control us. You see, we need to be honest with the Lord. He assertively teaches us. 
uh, that life's not fair as we see it. Uh, I call this meeting with this, these grumblers a uh, come-to-Jesus meeting. You ever had a come-to-Jesus meeting? I'm going to tell you, those are, those are tough. Those are tough to go through because you know the Spirit of God's convicting you. You know that you're facing truth with the lie that you're believing, the misguided thinking you're believing, the pride, the expectations, all those things that hit you that can drag you down. You see, he reveals his blessings some more than others. He'll bless somebody around you, and it'll tick you off. I grew up, I never did understand it, but I grew up with people, if somebody got a new car, they would get mad about that. And I would go, why would you get mad? Just say, oh, I love your car. I wish, I wish you had a better one. I had yours. <laughs> it, it, it's this grumbling that takes place because somebody's blessed. And, and you know what? God does that for a reason. And so I want you to ask the next time that happens to you, why is this, Lord? Ask him, why is it? But you've got to be ready for the answer. Because here's the answer. I want to. Because I'm God and you're not. I have a choice in this. You don't. I make those blessings on some people more than another. And sometimes I do that to reveal what's in you. He does that to all of us. He does it to preachers too. I worked very hard in the church. Very hard. We got it straightened out, got the debt paid off, good things were happening, bought a mission house uh, for missions and work. And years later, I hear they're going to sell that mission house. Well, then, I worked hard for that. I got ticked off about that. I started ranting and raving in my heart. I was upset as all get out. And so one night I went to bed, and I, I had this dream. And I'm telling you the truth. I, I don't, I don't, this never happened before, so it's, it's a unique deal. I had this dream, and I'm walking around this church with this deacon that I knew who was a really good man. And, and I'm ranting on him. I said, you shouldn't sell that house. You shouldn't do that. And, and he just, I walked around with him. He wasn't saying anything to me. And then he turned to me and he said, you need to move along. Woke up. Whoa! That was the Spirit of God just said, you need to shut up about this. I want to tell you, that's really weird. I was so excited to have that confrontation with the Lord because I was in the presence of God. And he was speaking to me. Now, I'm in trouble, but I, he's speaking to me. And you know what? I left that alone. And I went on down. I moved on down the road. But you see, when you have an experience like that, you begin to see that God has a relationship with you. And he longs for you to follow him. And he longs for you to get off your kick and follow him. And to follow his will. And, and to just allow him to speak to you. He speaks to us in so many ways. But we're not listening because we're driven by all the stuff. You've already got 15 things on your mind of what you're going to do in just a few minutes. Just let it go for a minute. And say, God, just speak to us. 
God, just speak to me. Those songs, when we began the service, it touched me again today. I, I, I said, I, w- I won't do that again this service. And I went, Dad, gummy, it's doing it again. You know, I, I, that I served the Lord. All these years, he's been faithful to me. Ah, he has. I think to myself, I'm 70 years old, about about 50 years of ministry, and I'm just going, is that it? Is that all you're going to do with me, Lord? He said, no, I'm faithful. I'm faithful to you. And I know he will. And I know he will. I hate doing that in front of you. (laughs) But that's who I am. I'm going to ask you to bow. I want you to just turn your heart to to God right now. Would you just trust him? Would you invite him into your heart and, and trust him today? You're going through a difficult time. Give it to him. He's going to be faithful to you. Trust him. If you've prayed to receive Christ today, I, I challenge you to, to share that with uh, one of the elders, one of the staff, because we want to rejoice with you, with the angels in heaven, because you've given your heart to Jesus. Will you trust him today? Would you trust him with the treasure that you have, that it would be his treasure, not yours, in your heart? Father, I praise you. I thank you for your spirit that works in our hearts, speaks to us in different ways. And God, even so now that you would just reveal some things to us, get us in the right area, help us to understand. May your spirit guide us. And may we do the greater works that you've called us to do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.